Tuesday is an important night. Uh, it'll come and it'll go pretty quickly, so uh, make your plans. Have dinner early. Uh, get here by five to seven, and uh, we'll have Suzanne Day here as well to tell a little bit of her story, getting uh, ready and prepared to go to uh, Guinea in Africa. Uh, but Tim and Mel's opportunity to share some of the stories, like Advark, and I, I'm sure a few others, because over these next two or three months, uh, they're going to be telling their story all over, uh, and particularly here in Queensland. But we, we're the launch pad, right? So we need some test bunnies uh, to be here by seven o'clock on Sunday, uh, on uh, Tuesday night. So please uh, make that a priority in your week. If you have your Bibles, we're going to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Special welcome to all those online today. We love the fact that you visit us weekly as well. Uh, there's been a theme in our series as we've pushed our way through Ecclesiastes. We're up to the eighth chapter. It's wise to give God your whole heart. Giving God our heart is a wise thing to do. Uh, today, our subject is wisdom from the heart of obedience to God and to others. So uh, I feel like as we've pushed through Ecclesiastes, we've seen a lot of Solomon's reflections, a lot of his life lessons, and today we kind of pick up on uh, something that's a bit broader than Solomon uh, and extremely important. He has an explanation of the value of wisdom. Uh, that's, that's good for us. And he tells us a wise heart knows how to submit. Uh, he says a wise person knows that wickedness holds a grip on people and wisdom accepts that we don't have all the answers in life, but that God does. So the, the wise person knows that they don't know anything or everything. Uh, a wise person knows that they are limited in knowledge, but God is unlimited in knowledge. God is unlimited in wisdom. And God has wisdom to share with the person who's wise. Let's look at our scripture text, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and we're going to start in the first verse, if this will work. There we go. Hey. Okay, so verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 8. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. And uh, right at the beginning of chapter 8, we see the whole obedience thing launches once again. Obedience pops up because the first part of verse 2, obey the king's command. I say because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. 
since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? However, whoever obeys his command will come to no harm and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. So what does it mean to have a wise heart? Solomon talks about the necessity of being wise in our heart. He explains what this wise heart does and doesn't do for a person. The story in this wisdom literature could be summarised, I believe, with this sentence. Wisdom and its eternal value is essential in your life and the secret to wisdom is having a wise heart. Wisdom and its eternal value is essential in your life and the secret to wisdom is having a wise heart. Ecclesiastes says that life is filled with choices and if we desire our life to count for something good, we must be led by a wise heart. Solomon encourages right choices all the way through because of the way he has been impacted by all of his own bad choices. Uh, Solomon's constantly firing thoughts and actions and attitudes of wisdom from above and telling us in verse 1 that these wisdom notes from God will brighten our faces and lift our spirits. So we need to take this on board while we can and never let the world steal it away. God desires that we follow him in wisdom. And Solomon has an action plan. The first action he suggests is to learn to submit to authority in life. The heart that is wise will be submitting to authority. Last week we said that there's a right way and a wrong way to worship God. And there's also a right way to behave in regard to authority. Wise people know the importance of submission to the right authority. Wise submit, they don't rebel. So um, I hope you're thinking, well, what authority, Gary? What authority? And here's our answer. God's authority. I want to state really clearly that God is all authority, that God not only knows everything there is to know about what's right and what's wrong, but God owns the right as creator, sustainer, deliverer. God owns the right to all authority. He is the supreme authority, our sovereign God. And what he has given to us in the scriptures perfectly announces to us that the word is divine, it is able to lead us, and the spirit will always point us back to the word. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we know that Jesus quoted the word of God, he quoted the scriptures very often when he was challenged. So he didn't go on some track of thinking and processing and working out how to answer. He quoted the scripture and then he explained it. Wise people submit to God's authority. God owns the right to have authority. Solomon teaches us then to submit to the king 
Uh, We see that in the first line of verse 2. And clearly the context in this situation, I believe, applies to each of our lives. We can say that, uh, or we learnt last week, that we're part of a priesthood of all believers. We are part of a royal priesthood. Each person is a priest. Every Christian is a priest in God's kingdom. Therefore, we have a direct responsibility to follow Jesus, who follows God, and we are to lead others to follow Jesus. If that's true, do you believe it? That God has all authority? If that's true, then that means we should follow God's word and lead others to follow God's word. It's a mandate. It's our responsibility. Rebellion to authority, though, is rampant in our community. The Bible makes it really clear that God views rebellion like he does the sin of witchcraft. Uh, we see that in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three. Rebellion is promoted everywhere, it seems, in the media today. Very subtly, but very effectively. Uh, there's rebellion to God's authority raging in our communities. Civil and political leaders are presenting arguments for societal change that are opposed to God's authority. I know that. I believe you know that. Many of God's instructions are reduced to cultural traditions that need upgrading. Media and many political and social leaders are spinning the lies that God's laws are outdated and irrelevant in a progressive society. Rebellion... 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, which is always judged by God. And the really sad part of this trend is that Christians are buying into these changes. Society is so-called developing, but society is changing and gradually moving away from God's mandate. And we are encouraged to go along on that trend. George Barner comments on the recent condition of Christians and he says this, being independent and deciding our own right and wrong are becoming more normal in Christianity rather than following the directives laid out in God's word. So Barner is clearly commenting in respect to American Christianity But I believe the same is true for our Australian Christian presence. And I believe that I'm experiencing that. Rebellion has obviously taken root even in Christians. Our society has been overrun with acts of rebellion. And the media has portrayed these acts of rebellion as good and not evil. Not only media, but many of our societal leaders are saying that the changes are good for us. And some of these changes I'm alluding to, of course, are those things that are not part of God's instruction for good life and good practice. We're even meant to believe 
the message that says these acts of rebellion should be applauded by all of us. In the passage, the author of Ecclesiastes gives a lot of practical instruction, particularly in relating to civil authority, whether that be good or evil. So this area of submission to authority needs a careful analysis. And I want to step through the verses to try to understand what's the truth, what's God's big idea, and what is it for us to be a person with a wise heart in respect of obeying authorities in our land. So what is God wanting to teach us? And in verse 1, he identifies the wise man and the wisdom he possesses. In verse 1a, he asks, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A wise person's understanding of things is reflected in his face. That's why the preacher says in uh, the second part of verse 1, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. You might want to ask, is a wise person's face really different from any other person's face? I think it's a relevant thing to ask. And my answer would be from Scripture, yes, it is. And I want to take you to the story of Daniel. He was led into Babylonian captivity as a young teenager. And eventually, because of his wisdom, he was selected to receive some special training. But Daniel and his friends were wise and requested that they not eat the king's food. Remember, uh, it had been likely been offered to the gods, the pagan gods where they were being held. And in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 15, it says this, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance than all the youth who ate the king's food. Strange but true. Godly wisdom makes a difference even in the way people look. Another example of this, I uh, saw a story which is pretty cool having uh, the Downs family with us today, but uh, this is an article that was written by an atheist to the New York Times. His name was Matthew Paris. It's a 2008 article about something he observed in Africa. So as an atheist, he wrote this piece of journalism titled, Why Africa Needs God. And he says that Christianity made a tangible difference in the lives of people he knew in his home of Malawi and in other countries across Australia. He wrote about the work that Christians were doing to care for the poor and the sick, particularly in Malawi, but he also liked the way that they looked. The Christians were different, he wrote. Their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. Did you catch that? Their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. There was energy, a curiosity, an engagement with the world. And whenever we entered a territory where there were missionaries, we had to acknowledge that something changed in the faces of the people we passed and spoke to, something in their eyes. I couldn't help myself but think uh, maybe they actually saw Tim and Mel, that he actually writes about this environment. We can't avoid the fact that a wise heart brings 
transformation. A person who has a wise heart will follow the pattern of the wise person set down in the rest of the chapter. Transformation occurs when we observe wisdom and follow its pathway. Now, some of these instructions in chapter 8 are a little challenging given what I shared earlier, but um, we're encouraged here to be people who have a wise heart and follow our leaders. Obedience to various leadership in our sphere of influence, in our country, in our world. Verse 2 says, I say keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. The reason we obey civil authorities is because they are God's representatives. And Jesus goes very deep into this where he says and told the disciples to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And Paul actually speaks to this as well. In Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. God gives authority. God owns the right to authority. When he gives authority, authority is therefore given. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Although Paul is referring here primarily to the government authorities, there are various forms, lots of forms of leadership which have been established by God in our world. We find these relationships described throughout the Bible, especially in Paul's letters. But God has established authority within the family, in the workplace, in the church. There's uh, layers of authority all through our community, in business, in corporate. Every area of our lives has at least some form of governance and leadership. In addition, all of that to the governmental authority in our society. We've seen as Australia has managed its way through COVID from March last year, 2020, 22nd of March, we could not hold a church service. And churches, some churches uh, decided, well, we'll see how that goes for us. As for us at Northreach, we went online straight away and followed the health instructions that were provided to us. We are submissive to the authority in the land. It seems so much of our lives has changed, but we are working our way through under the direction of those who've been appointed to authority over us. And since God is the one who established all these forms of authority, then it logically follows that rebellion against authority is rebellion against God. Have you thought about that? Today, so far maybe, Re rebellion against authority is rebellion against God. Paul continues in Romans 13 in verse 2, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. 
and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. The way that we respond to earthly authority actually reveals a lot about what we really believe about God's authority and his sovereignty. If we have a hard time obeying and honouring the authorities here on earth, and that's part of our everyday life, and it's on the news, and it's in our feeds all the time, then we're going to have a problem obeying and honouring God, whom we can't see, and we only know by faith. Ultimately, it goes back to the, the root cause of all of our sin. If we don't want to obey those in authority, even God, because we want to be in charge, uh, we will reap a consequence. We want to be the God of our own lives. We will have to see how God deals with that in due course. And when we refuse to honour and obey the earthly authority that God has put in place, we're basically indicating that we don't trust God to work through the authority that is ordained for our lives. So the deduction here is a wise man recognises that God has ordained authority in our lives for our own good. And that means our primary obligation with regard to government is to obey. One of the ways in which godly wise believers show obedience to Jesus is by obeying the leaders that God has allowed. That's a big call for me. I believe it's right, but it's so hard. And you may ask, is there ever a time not to obey civil leaders? Or are there times when it's my duty as a Christian to disobey the authorities in the land? And I want to say absolutely and authoritatively, yes, there are. So I'm not backing away from anything that I've said, but Peter addresses this very issue when the authorities in Jerusalem told him to stop preaching the gospel. In uh, Acts 5 and 29, as far as I can tell from the Bible, there's only two exceptions to my responsibility to obey the government authorities. Peter stated we must obey God rather than men. Uh, I'm going to cite exemption one. And there's a second one there as well. I feel like our country is starting to make some decisions that is causing us to spiral downwards and away from God's word and the clear instructions in the Bible. I feel like there are uh, several very major decisions that have been made in Parliament recently that caused me as a Christian to feel like, as for me and my house, I can't go down this track. I will not submit to those particular changes. I'm going to be honest with you. I was both very surprised but also quite disgusted 
when we had our plebiscite back a number of years ago and I'm living in Melbourne and I'm thinking Queensland's going to dig us out of this and 80% went yes. And I'm thinking, what about the sanctity of marriage? It's so clear in the scriptures. There may be a few times when these exceptions are going to apply for us as a church, for us as families. And uh, exemption one, when the government requires me to do something contrary to the scriptures. When the government requires me uh, to do marriages for all people, regardless of their desire to follow biblical instruction. And exemption two, when the government prohibits me from doing something required by the scriptures. And I do love what happened in Acts 4 when Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin. They were commanded not to proclaim the gospel of Jesus any longer. And they responded with these words. But Peter and John replied in the scriptures in Acts 4, 19 and 20, uh, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about that which we've seen and heard. In other words, you want us to stop teaching about Jesus and speaking the truth of what we've seen about the resurrection of Jesus? No way, we will continue to preach. If we do find ourselves in one of these situations, we need to be very careful, though, that uh, we're being asked to violate the specific commands of Scripture. Because I feel like in the, the trend of the Australian church is we, we know more about God and we feel like we know more of God's commands than those things that we've actually read and committed to in our hearts and in our minds. In other words, we have various opinions about what God's law is, but we fail to actually go to the scriptures to validate what it is that we have an opinion about. You see, our opinions count for very little here. It's God's word that's the authority. Amen. And we should always go back to the word of God. Only the scriptural authority carries any weight in regard to our obedience or the lack of it. And as we can observe, and it's uh, pretty real in each of these situations, there is no guarantee that God will protect us from the often severe consequences that come with disobeying a government. There's no guarantee there. The Bible doesn't teach us about that. The Bible points us to eternity. The three Hebrews were thrown into the furnace. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Peter and John did suffer persecution because they continued to preach the gospel. The bottom line, when civil authorities are in conflict with God's word, then we definitely disobey authorities and we obey God. That's my stand. Rule number one, rule number a million and one, rule zillion, is God's way trumps every other way.
God's law first and there's no room for any other. Only God's way. Uh, All of our government system originally was built around the Ten Commandments and the uh, civil uh, laws and proclamations that we find in the Scriptures. Uh, We've added things because we've wanted to live more about ourselves than we've been committed to live in the favour of God. God's way trumps every other way. And still in verse 2, the writer commands his readers to keep the king's command. And then he goes on to provide his readers with some very practical reasons why they should obey their government leaders. Ultimately, obeying the government will prevent us from being punished by the government. And generally speaking, when you obey the king's commands, you don't get into trouble with the king. So if we apply some common sense to that very logical training, when you drive the speed limit, you don't have to worry about speeding tickets. Amen to that, right? Wished I'd learned that when I was younger. But you want to remove stress about uh, getting caught? Don't do the wrong thing. Pretty simple, yeah? When you pay your taxes, you're not particularly worried about the ADO audit. When you do things properly, you minimise the stress in your life. When you do your work faithfully on the job, it doesn't concern you one bit that the boss is watching. I do remember my mother, not particularly enjoyingly, but... uh, My mother saying, I can't always see you, Gary, but God can. Oh, that nailed me too many times. Paul goes a bit further in Romans 13. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want me to be uh, free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. I just want to also look at these two passages to deal with obedience to the government authorities. Uh, The first one is in 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted amongst men whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers and fear God, honour the king. And then Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready and to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility toward all men. Uh, Remember the one and others from last week? 
uh, the one another's in the scriptures are powerful, powerful commands designed so that we would live wonderfully with freedom and with love and with a sense of contentment and satisfaction that is unequaled. God knows best. God is the authority. His word is majestically beautiful in terms of how he has designed for us to live in harmony with him and together. I love the one another's. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I am to obey the governing authorities even when I don't agree with them. Even when Jesus commanded his followers to comply with the ATO and pay their taxes, they had to submit to the authority of the day. I feel that we have gone down a track of rebellion. Our churches have remained silent when decisions have been made that have taken us away from God's desire for love, for affection and for right relationships. I am concerned that the church has remained quiet. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that some people have been speaking and the media and the ref- those that have responsibility to distribute information have not been faithful to the whole story. And, uh, and we've been just getting so strong a reflection of one side of all of these debates. But the other thing, that's, I, I acknowledge that. But secondly, many of us are not teaching the principles in our homes. So our kids, when they go to school, have got no argument because they don't know what you believe. They need to know what the Bible says. And the place where I feel it's most important for them to know is in the home. Amen? In our homes, in our churches, in our communities, what do our neighbours know about what we believe? And out of that, our sensitivity needs to always be we are following Jesus and reaching people. Um, so we never want our faith to be a bunch of rules, but we never want our faith to be absent of any guidance either. True? So let's be people of faith and understanding of the scriptures and practice our knowledge of our understanding. Equals wisdom is a matter of the heart. When our heart and our head come together, the instruction of the word floods into our being, our soul is enriched, our faces light up and the truth is revealed. To be totally honest, when I look at the direction of our country right now, it's a little concerning. But ultimately, we know some things don't change And the truth is we need to be salt and light in this world and be good citizens, obeying our government at all the levels. 
and to be about promoting love. Following Jesus, reaching out, effectively knowing what the truth is. And that means that we do need to commit to knowing the word of God and what it teaches. And remember from earlier, not our ideas that we learnt in Sunday school, but the truth that we learnt this week because we were in the word of God this week. Amen? Not an historical understanding of faith, but a present and living reality of who Jesus is. Jesus died so that we might live. And what today is about is, so what does it mean to live? Under the authority of the land, but what does it mean to live? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for uh, the amazing truth that Solomon discovered, for the wisdom literature that uh, warms us with uh, truth and gives us balance and, and in a creative way gives us understanding. And Lord, for the passages of scripture that we've looked at today, we pray that you will embed them deep into our soul, that we will know that Jesus pointed people always to the scripture. Jesus pointed people to the scripture that pointed people to the Father. And uh, God, as we're anchored in your love, help us to know the truth of how love can be shared in our community. Without you, there is no love. With you, we learn to love appropriately. Lord God, hear our prayer. Church, please stand with us as we sing our final song this morning. This is my desire to all